2: John Copenhaver, and Al Warren. Third on KCAA, 106.5 FM
1: Los
0: Angeles, 102.3 FM Riverside, and one oh five
2: oh AM Palm
3: Springs. Welcome to the House of Mystery. I'm Al Warren, and today it's a thriller show, so we've got like two thrillers from Manila We've got, uh, we've got Joe
0: Goldberg. It's been a while. It has been a while. It has yeah. been a while. It's, I'm, I'm happy to hear that you dulcet tones of your voice, Al. Oh. It, it, it puts me to sleep. <laughs> You're like an ambient. Yeah, I am. I'm the ambient of the radio world.
3: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's something to be proud of, I'll tell you. See, they pick on me all the time. And uh, Gavin Stone from the UK is here. And look out, he's raring to go. Hey,
1: yeah, I'm tonight's decoy. Okay.
3: <laughs> <laughs> and, and you're ready for the turkey. It's almost Thanksgiving. Like, you know, we almost recorded this on Thanksgiving. I didn't realize I set it up that way till Joe told me. And I, I don't know, I'm falling apart here. Getting old. Yeah. Cause
0: you're, cause you're not in the American Thanksgiving world, right?
3: No, not anymore. I haven't done American Thanksgiving for. Well, it's only been about four or five years, I think. Three, no, maybe four years. Yeah, four years. So you forgot. Yeah, yeah I have kind of forgot. I was running both uh, wow. for a year or two, and then I just got too tired. They're too close to each other, and I get too turkeyed out, you know. Yes. Too much, too much work. Too much work. Well, now joining us, we've got, um, uh, what can I say? She's a thriller author. The book is called The Peacock and the Sparrow, and it's a novel. So I.S. Barry, thank you for being here.
2: Oh, thank you so much for having me.
3: Well, Ilana, how did you get into this world? Like, what would would make you want to get into this writing world?
2: (laughs) Well, um, I was a spy before I was a spy novelist. So um, I think my years as a spy kind of stayed with me. And um, they, you know, they just didn't leave me. And I think writing this book was sort of my way of processing it. Um, for me, it was sort of a dark profession because you're manipulating people all the time and they're manipulating you and you make these decisions that have consequences on people's lives in a world where, you know, there's no clear right and wrong. Um, and it really haunted me even to this day. So I think in a lot of ways that was sort of the impetus for writing my book. Um, I know Joe was in the CIA, too. So I, I think he can probably relate to some of that. Yeah.
0: Yeah, he's still manipulating people. Yeah,
2: That's it. true. <laughs> I <laughs> thought you were going to that. Think- I yeah,
0: manipulated that turkey, not to burn <laughs> it. Yeah. Burn my brisket. Yeah. Well, no, I, no, but you're right. I remember coming out and I was just sat there for a long time and just looked, stared at the wall and felt like, you know, days after a day, everything you did was like this Vaseline, sticky, slow feel. Yeah. You know, never quite feeling comfortable and relaxed. Yeah. And I, and I liked that you, that the writing thing, uh, was your, method to get out of it It ended up being mine took a while but I was and I did some before but did you uh do any of the writing while you were there at all to sort of offset it to to give
2: it not really and I was undercover at the time yeah So most of it and I actually so I wrote my book is set in Bahrain um which I lived in after I left the agency during the Arab Spring and it was for my husband's job so um to me like wh- when I got to Bahrain that was it was during the Arab spring and it was such an interesting conflict. There was no clear right side. You had the Saudis backing the monarchy and Iran back to some degree backing, um, the revolutionaries. And it it was just a perfect prism for a spy novel in my view. So even though I hadn't served there as a, as a CIA spy, um, that was sort of the, the perfect setting for me. So to answer your question, um, you know i I was long out of the agency by the time I started writing the book, but i did write i spent a year in baghdad um during during the war from two thousand four to two thousand and five which was pretty uh horrifying pretty awful and and traumatic and um, and I did kind of feel the need to write a lot of that stuff down um, after I left the agency i kind of, I kind of subscribed to um Tim O'Brien, you know, who, who wrote, um, he writes a lot of war literature. He wrote the things they carried. And, um, he, he said something like, fiction is the lie that helps us understand the truth. So he has some great quotes like that. And for me, I felt like, cause I had written some sort of nonfiction pieces about my time in Baghdad. Um, but I felt like at the end of the day, fiction proved to be sort of the, the best medium for me for kind of, making sense of my experiences.
0: And it's also better to get through publications review.
2: A hundred percent. I agree with you on that. Yeah. Um, yeah. I've had, I've had more trouble getting my nonfiction pieces through. And um, I think the, this book went through with like a breeze. I mean, it was, it had minimal redactions. Um, I mean, Jill, so what's your experience with, with the publications review board?
0: They do it, they, I give them credit for timing. They do it when they say they're going to do it a month or two months. I, give, I love that.
2: Uh-huh.
0: Uh, uh-huh. And the, the further away I've gotten from um, agency life, the first book had some. The second book had a few. Third, fourth book basically done. I I know less. I'm further away yeah. um, from knowing anything. Right. And, there, and there's been a lot more writers, so the stuff that I thought, oh, my God, how can they possibly put that in a book? is kind of like, yeah, that's on TV. No big deal. Exactly.
2: Well, not only not only a lot of writers, but a lot of really senior people, <laughs> like the, like a lot of directors yeah. have written memoirs. And I right. think when you know when you have kind of the bigwigs who are 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 finally you know writing and and telling their stories, then you kind of have to, the agency has to you know be more egalitarian. Um, and I also I just think that in general that the agency has become more reasonable over the years. Um And I mean I think I was there at um, an unusual time. I mean, I was there not long after 9-11, and the agency was sort of recalibrating and um, kind of soul-searching and, and a little bit more, I think, paranoid and insecure because we'd had this big intelligence failure, 9-11, and they were trying to shift operations from um, traditional, almost Cold War-type operations to counter-terrorists. And, you know, it was an agency that didn't really, that was in flux. And I think for that reason, they were a little bit more paranoid. Um, and I think that trickled down to publication review for several years as well.
0: Yeah. I, when uh, you were writing and thinking about the story and the Arab Spring story and the, and the Bahrain story, how much of it did you incorporate into your characters to make, to, to make them around characters? Because you were already out, right? Yeah. So you were making people up in your head. How much of that did you use to create the character arcs themselves? The story, the plot, fine, got it. But the uh, yeah. character arcs, how, how about that?
2: Well, I mean, I, so my main character, Shane Collins, is kind of, um, I would say, an amalgam of a lot of people I knew and worked with. Um, and I, and uh, the only character who's really based directly on someone is the young, sort of um, unctuous station chief, <laughs> And uh, I think we've all we've all known that type. Gotta
0: love them. <laughs> yeah. Every station chief was a with a dream. <laughs> right.
2: I mean, in law school, we called them gunners, which were the kids like at the front of the class raising their hands, like gunning to answer yeah. the question. Um, so yeah, so he was the only one that um, was based directly on I'd say a real person, but a lot of the um, expat characters were based on on actual on actual uh, people. I was very much part of the expat community in Bahrain for two years. So it was really based on on people I knew. And actually, some of the dialogue was verbatim dialogue that I heard when I was over there. I mean, I just couldn't, I, I just couldn't come up with better dialogue on my own. Um, just this a sort of hedonistic um, insular bubble of expats, which I think you see again and again in foreign countries. And you saw it in Bahrain. And it was um, and some of the things they would say were just were just incredible. You know, one woman saying, "Oh, you can wear anything that that you want in this country," which of course you can't. But she meant that you can wear luxury goods, and it was just this sort of um, this very uh, privileged um, attitude.
3: Well, it's a, it's an interesting thought. You know, it, it sounds like you um, are glad to be out of the agency. And you speak of the agency almost like a person, like a character, like a single person. Is that how you, is that how you see it?
2: Um, no, I mean, I am glad that I'm out, uh, because I think it is, it's a heavy career. It's not great for family life. Um, but I'm really proud of my service. I do think I was there at kind of not the best time for the agency. And I do think it's gotten a lot better. I kind of saw the agency. I don't want to say it's worse, but certainly not as best. Um, and I think, but my my view, you know, over time is that I think it's a really noble organization that does great work. And I do think that, I do think it's variegated. I don't, I don't view it as monolithic. Um, and I think that uh, there are good and bad people in the agency, just like in any organization. So um so no, I knew great people even when I was there. And and what's really blown me away is that is since my book has come out, um the the agency community, both current and uh former, has just been so incredibly supportive. I mean, in a way that I never thought possible, but um I, I've just been blown away by it. They, the agency has a creative writing, an internal creative writing group called Invisible Inc. <laughs> And um, they reached out to me and had me come and, and speak at the agency. It was the first time I'd gone back in the building in, you know, 15 years. And I was so uh, flattered and honored. And I just, I feel like um, they just, I'm so, I'm so grateful for their support.
0: Yeah, I got a I got a note saying please don't ever show up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> stay away. Yeah. Stay away. They give yeah. him the wrong address. <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs> well, it's it's weird. I mean, it's weird to be back. Like the building had totally changed. Everything was more modern. I mean, when I was there, they had just put in when i left not long before I left they put in the dunkin donuts which was like so exciting so <laughs> dunkin, dunkin donuts, donuts man. and a starbucks those were like the two big oh ones. yeah and let me tell you so so they um so when the dunkin donuts opened i mean man that thing had a line for like 2 hours every morning for like a <laughs> year <laughs> And the rumor was that like the director wanted to get rid of it or or a subsequent director wanted to get rid of it because it was just a big time suckage for all employees.
3: See, when Joe was first there, they just put in flush toilets. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. The dinosaurs were still so <laughs> roaming.
2: Electricity. <laughs>
3: <Yes>. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, Dunkin' Donuts, wow, that's luxury.
2: I mean, it was a big deal, yeah.
1: But working in intelligence can be an exceptionally highly stressful job. When you did your writing, did you find that in a way therapeutic?
2: Oh, 100%. Um, Yeah. I mean, I I think, especially coming back from from Baghdad, I mean, I think I probably had PTSD, as I think almost everyone who's in war does. I don't know anyone who doesn't have some degree of it. Um, And it was really rough for me for about a year. Um, and I mean, I would, I would get panic attacks and loud noises would startle me. And, um, and, and there was one operation in particular in Baghdad that, um, really kind of haunted me. Um, and I've, I've, I've written about this, the agency has cleared this. Um, but basically I helped through my informant to apprehend an alleged top 10 terrorist target who was, Accused of participating in the 2003 bombing of UN headquarters in Baghdad, and um, and I and it, and and I, through my informant, I was able. We were able to help to track this guy down. We brought him in for questioning, and the military detained him. He didn't confess, um, but I thought for sure, you know, eventually the truth would come out, and I felt like I had I'd done my my job, and I felt like this was a huge victory. I mean, it was. In 2004-2005, we were not really doing so well in Baghdad. Um, We were trying; we were looking for Zarqawi, who was the head of Al Qaeda in Iraq, and we were not finding him. This this guy was supposed to be tied to Al Qaeda in Iraq, and I this was I didn't feel like I was making a lot of progress, and this was a huge victory for me. And then um, years later, a colleague of mine at at Langley mentioned that she had questioned him at a different. Uh, detention facility. This was like two years later, and that he still hadn't confessed, and people were starting to think maybe we'd gotten the wrong guy, and it was like a moment of um, reckoning for me. I mean, it was it was a moment that kind of stopped me and and still haunts me to this day. And um, you know, it's like, did I save a life or did I really uh, it affect someone's life in a bad way? You know, I mean, I I don't know. To this day, I don't know. And I think my book is um, is about, in some ways, you know, it's about a an aging spy caught in the crosswinds of the Arab Spring who makes these decisions that have sort of world-altering consequences, but aren't necessarily what he anticipated. So I think, in a, in a way, it was sort of me um, processing my own experiences in this world of espionage, where you make these decisions in a fog of war, a fog of, of spying and um and you don't always know what the consequences will be
0: and by the way if you haven't uh, gotten her book you should it's great thank you and you sort of alluded to this to your time in, in Baghdad and Bahrain perhaps as an expat and I'll go back to my quick story I've said before I uh, Tom Clancy spoke in the bubble when I was first there and he said as long as I write you guys are going to be the heroes in my book
2: oh yeah
0: and so yeah, so I, my question is, given your characters, and we were just talking about the PTSD and yeah. things were going good, did you f- frame your characters as good, bad, real,
2: yeah.
0: you know, cliche, not quite cliche? How, how did you characterize them?
2: That's such a good question. Um, I don't think any of my characters would be considered a hero. In fact, I think when I first signed with my agent, he said, oh, I love that you have all anti-heroes in your book. And I mean, so a lot of people, people have very strong reactions to my protagonist because he's not incredibly likable. (laughs) And um, for me, I felt like, A, that was more realistic and B, it was more interesting that way. And um, I I found when I, you know, when I look back at literature I love, the most interesting characters were always the mixed or unlikable ones. Theodore Dreiser, an American tragedy, um, has a horribly unlikable protagonist, or the sympathizer by Viet Tan Nguyen has a has an unlikable protagonist, and I think that makes them more interesting, and in a way, even more sympathetic, because I think, I don't know, you look for kind of the good in them, and um, I, I, I mean, I think my protagonist, Shane Collins, um, he, uh, I, I don't think he. I, I think he tries to do the right thing in his own way. And um, and so for me, he's not a hero, but in a way he, he kind of is. And um, I think it. I try to sort of pay homage to the people who are caught in this messy world. Um, and they're not clear-cut heroes, but they, they do their best and they try to do the right thing.
1: So oh, well, I know that um, the, the three of us here have worked in this industry know that the reality to working in the industry is very, very slow, very gradual, and can be even boring at times, and, and very, very complex, unlike the kind of Hollywood glitz and glam. And I know you've tried to stray away from that. So what challenges were there when it comes to kind of putting this into into book form to uh, turn this into a novel that is, is based more on the reality of working yeah. in intelligence more so? you know, the, the bang bang. Yeah,
2: yeah. yeah. No, I think that's a great point. I mean, I think that a lot of people expect spy novels to be shoot up car chases. And that was not the kind of novel I wanted to write. Um, so I think mine is, um, you know, more of a it's kind of quieter, more realistic um, spy novel. I mean, I think I didn't feel like I had to embellish much to make it exciting, because sometimes I feel like even the the um, the reality is is more interesting to me than um, than the theatrics. I mean, I think that uh, uh, you know, it's it's sort of easy to use you know technology or um, or lots of uh, fireworks, I guess, to propel a plot. Um, and in some ways, I think that more interesting plots are are more um, psychological or cerebral. So they're not. Um, high drama plot, I guess. And so that was so I I, I did feel like I was I felt like I, I set out to write um, an interesting spy novel based on sort of the the psychological aspect of it, because I think at its essence, tradecraft is is really psychological. Anyway, Um, there were some there were scenes here and there where I felt like I had to throw in a few a few theatrical gimmicks like there's a scene where Source uses invisible ink with lemon juice and i get a lot of people who ask me um, oh yeah you guys use you know you use invisible ink at the cia right and i'm like no i got that idea from my kid's science project <laughs> and that was, that, yeah.
0: that was <laughs> wild wild it. west had that <laughs>
2: yeah.
3: yeah yeah it was a free gift at uh, dunkin donuts uh, <laughs> 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 yeah. Well it's you this is something actually all of you can answer but I I wonder Alana, if the lifestyle when you talked about it at the very beginning about the manipulating and all that and the and the things that you went through and how it affected you and stuff does that lifestyle ever go away like can you ever break away from of thinking and and, and I mean this in the fact of things are going on in the world and there's a lot of stuff now uh, in public with problems and stuff but whenever stuff happens do you, does it take you back to that that time when you were in there and and do you react the same way
2: yeah i mean i do think that being in a in a profession where you're taught to distrust everyone and people kind of distrust you i do think that makes you more cynical um and maybe a little uh savvier as well um so I don't, I do, I do think I look at the world with a kind of more jaundiced, cynical eye. And I think, you know, if, if you read my book, you can see that too, because it's, it's like I said, it's a pretty dark book. Um, and I think it, it does, yeah, it, it, it does make me savvier. I mean, just recently to give you an example, um, I had this horrible hoax played on me where uh, I got a, a, a call from um, with an AI generated voice of my son, my son's voice, but it was AI generated, and he was in distress. I don't know if, if you've heard about this hoax. I had not heard about it at the time, but anyhow, it was really horrifying, and it was my son's voice. And at the time, I had like sense, in, you know, in the middle of it, to think, to think of like kind of an op test to see if this was really my son, because it kind of was occurring to me that this was a hoax. So I said, you know, what's your birthday? And at that point, the person calling who undoubtedly wanted money or something hung up. But I do think like you, I mean, that's how you learn to think as a case officer, you know, is, is you learn to, um, to kind of game people and to come up with these tests and to assume that you're being manipulated. So I think it is part of my psyche, for better and for worse. But I'm, I'm curious what other people think.
0: How much do you, have you taken with you? now not men- mentally but just sort of naturally automatic in your everyday life and i'll give you my example mm-hmm. i've been out for a long time and i do situational awareness sdr looking in my mirror walking down the street and looking for people all the time Damn. constantly i can't get away from it in fact i was on a, a motorola trip long ago and i i was we were being followed by a thief and i was saying i told my guy I was with we're we're being followed he's like oh my god let so just stay with me and I ran an SDR and got this guy basically thrown out of a mall. Oh
2: my God! But
0: is yeah? Is there any? So yeah, I mean, that's another. It's more an interesting story than that. I'm not the guest, but is there anything? And maybe Gavin too. Is there anything that you just can't get away from? And 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 do
1: you, and did you implant that on your characters? Perhaps since it's a since you built these characters. I I personally I, I teach my daughter this so when I can't get away from it, it's not just the fact that I can't get away from it. I'm 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 teaching my daughter we do an SDR on the way to school. Um so you know and, and the school's half a mile away and it takes us like kinda of twenty minutes. So <laughs> Yeah. I, I, I'm constantly teaching we we, we play the silly plate game where she sits in the car and she'll she'll be like making up a a, a word from the last three letters on the licence plate of the vehicle behind. Um, she needs to observe it, observe it without kind of making it obvious. Um, and if the vehicle changes, you know, then uh, then we, we we we've got this cra- we've got crazy games we play for situational awareness and all sorts of things. So not only can I not get away from it personally. I'm I'm instilling it into my daughter, so we go out for a meal, and she instinctively knows where I want to sit in the restaurant. You know, she's looking yeah. at the exits and the cameras and the ways out and <laughs> that kind of thing. So. My <laughs> wife. How about you, Amanda? Are, are you there yet, or are you still
2: a... Yeah, you know, I mean, I think, you know, it's weird. I think I actually had the opposite experience in that. I think I kind of made a conscious break from that lifestyle after I left. I mean, I do remember – you know, for a while after leaving the agency, it was like Joe said, I mean, it's such a part of you and you're kind of staring out of windows and you're looking in your mirror and you're looking behind your shoulder. And I mean, that those habits die hard for sure. But I also think um, that it's such a burden. I mean, it really is like, that's one thing I don't miss about the agency. When you're there, you're always looking behind your shoulder. And um, I, I, it's like a weight. And, and I think at a certain point in my life, I was like, I left. I'm out. You know, I, I I served my country and I'm incredibly proud of that. And uh, I wouldn't trade it. But, you know, at, at a point in my life, I just felt like I want to let go of the weight. So I don't I don't I don't look in my mirrors. I don't I mean, the skills are all there. Um, but but I try not to I try not to be that, um, you know, that cautious and and have that
0: mindset now you will
2: now I know. you will
3: <laughs> joe got me kicked out of the mall yeah yeah it was just like you it was me Oh. Uh, i still do it and i'm not even in the agency so <laughs> did you uh, ilana did you plan um a meaning in this did you did you besides the story itself the the entertainment value and stuff was there something you wanted to get across to people when they read the book
2: uh, I mean, I think I wanted to get across the nature of espionage, and I wanted to paint a really realistic, unvarnished picture—not not the, you know, not the glamorous, sexy picture that is out there so often. Which, is, and I love those kind of books—they're escapist and they're wonderful. But I just wanted to write as realistic a, a spy novel as I could, um, and and I wanted to convey the toll it takes on you. I also, I think, wanted to make a point about the the Middle East, you know, apropos of what's going on in the world, um, that I I spent, you know, a year in Baghdad, two years in in Bahrain. And, you know, the Middle East is such an interesting, complex, intricate place. And people, I think, don't understand it. I think they rush to judgment. I think there are so many layers to the Middle East, and there's so many layers to these conflicts. And I think um, American intervention in, in historically um, in various conflicts, not just in the Middle East, including in like Vietnam, for example, but has been um, kind of a minefield. You know, it, it hasn't, it's had unintended consequences um, or in Iraq, for example. And, and, I, and I think I wanted to convey that feeling of sort of enter at your own risk. I mean, my book, I, I hope, conveys the um, complexity of the Arab Bring and how Western intervention um, can have really profound consequences, and perhaps not the consequences we intend.
3: Oh, so it's not like Joe told
0: me. Joe told me that it was just like James Bond.
2: <laughs> yes, <Yeah>, exactly.
0: Pay <laughs> hey, no attention to the real reality. <laughs> Great character, though. He has his moment in time. Fortunately, George Smiley came along and sort of balanced that out. Yeah,
2: that's
0: true. Uh, So you actually just you just act. That's true. That's why he did it. So, and you actually yes. just said a word about sort of complexity, and the, and so I used I was I went down the word nuance while you were talking. Arab Spring, there, there was so much like you say underneath it, yes. the people and the politics and the and the forces before behind it. Yeah. So, I, so my overall question is: Did you start with the plot as your main point? or Did you start the characters to that main point, and they were interacting with that nuance in that plot?
2: I think I had in my mind that I wanted my main character to be caught between the two sides of the Arab Spring and to think he's going in one direction but then to slowly go in another direction. So I kinda knew where the beginning and the end would be. I didn't necessarily know exactly how to get there or what the middle would be. So I so I think um I think I had the plot and I adjusted the characters. But I did but at the same time I did have very clear ideas of what the character what I wanted the characters to look like. And a lot of it was influenced by um, The Quiet American by Graham Greene. I don't know if, if anyone's read Graham that. Green, classic. Yeah. I mean, classic. my favorite book of all time, by novel or otherwise. Yep. I just think it's like a masterpiece uh, on a plane. It's
0: always in the top five.
2: Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's so terrific. And I took so much of my, my book in a way was sort of a, a, a modern reimagining of The Quiet American because, you know, Vietnam, it was, it was, um, it, the book is about, you know, this aging British journalist who, who doggedly remains neutral, who says he's not going to step off the sidelines until, of course, his young rival, uh, Alden Pyle, you, you know, takes, takes his lover. And, um, but there's the whole geopolitical context of getting involved in, in Vietnam. And I mean, many say that book is sort of the, the quintessential cautionary tale against involvement and entanglement. And, um, and, I, and I thought, gosh, you know, the Arab Spring in so many ways is like a modern analog of, of Vietnam in that way. And so I kind of modeled my characters after, I mean, I have, after the Flight American, I have the, the aging um, spy, he's not a journalist, but he is basically vying with this young rival Who's kind of the face of American optimism and naivete, just like in The Quiet American. And in fact, my my character, the station chief, um, his name is Whitney Alden Mitchell. And his middle name, Alden, I took from the, the name of the character in The Quiet American, the CIA author named Alden. So it's sort of a, a nod to Sam Green.
0: Ah, uh, I didn't catch it. I'm
3: idiot.
2: Yeah, that's okay. Nobody does. That's fine. <laughs> no, yeah,
3: yeah. I, mean, yeah. I, I was just leaving that with sounding good. <laughs> <laughs> that was so you beat good. Gavin to the punch, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> well, so um now that you've completed the book and you look back at it and it's out and everything, um do you think that it's yeah. that it's affected you in some way? Have you have you gained some sort of knowledge or changed in somewhat after going through the experience of writing this book?
2: Yeah, I think that um I think that it definitely it's kind of like a form of therapy. I think it's helped to understand my experiences. I mean, I don't think I had in my mind when I started off the book, oh, I'm really haunted by that operation in Baghdad where I might have helped to detain an innocent man. I don't think I was thinking that at the beginning of the book, but I think by the end I was. So I think, you know, it helped me sort of come to terms with my own issues and and my own ghosts. I think that am I... Am I all the better for it? Probably not. Cause I think, I don't know. I think, um, you know, when you have things like, I, I think it's a work in progress. I think that it helps you to, to deal with these things. I think that, but it's a, it's something you have to continue to do. So, I mean, it's something that still haunts me, is, is, I guess, my point. But I'm more self aware.
3: Just you smoke your meat on the barbecue and you'll, you'll yeah. become better. <laughs>
0: that's, he's, that's towards, that's aimed at me. So leave that alone. All right. Don't, 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 don't humor him. <laughs> Don't give them a chance. Just walk away.
1: When you were at the DOD, was it uh, something that you had intentions straight away of going, transition to the CIA, or was that something that, was it an opportunity? Was it a talent spot? Tell us about the transition there.
2: Yeah, so I actually was enrolled in law school right after college, and then I had, like, a panic attack because I was like, I don't know if I want to practice law. So I deferred my entry for two years and went overseas to work for DOD as an intelligence analyst. And I loved that job. To this day, that's probably one of my favorite jobs. I felt like I, you know, I was, I was serving the military. I was serving alongside these amazing, heroic men and women. And I just loved it. And I got to use my brain to analyze issues. At the time, it was the, the Balkans were the big issue. I would go back and forth. I was stationed near Cambridge, England um, and I would go back and forth to the Balkans. And it was so interesting. And then I was, I intended, actually I deferred my, yeah, no, I deferred for two years and, and I intended just to go back to law school after that, um, to start law school after that. And I remember somebody, I worked with a lot of different Intel types with, when I was working for the department of defense and um, including the CIA. And I remember one guy, he was a, a military guy and he said, um, you know, you might want to consider applying to the CIA, you know, they, they could use more women <laughs> and it kind of was like, oh, huh. Okay. You know, and, cause I love my job so much. And I thought, wow, you know, to be a case officer, it's a similar job, but I'm really in the trenches as a case officer and I'm overseas and, um, and it's exciting. And I thought, okay, so maybe I'll do that. So I applied to the CIA. um, But back then it uh, it was a glacial process. It took it took over two years. So then I went to law school while I was waiting for my application to process. And uh, and then I started the agency and never practiced law until after I left,
1: which is what you're doing now, right?
2: Well, yeah, I mean, in theory, I I practiced law for a few years after I, I left. The agency, and then um, and it was national security law. But um, then I got married and, and had my son, and then we moved to Bahrain when my son was a toddler. And um, and it was it was hard to practice law from Bahrain. So um, so that's so then I started writing my book when I got back, and and thought you know I have probably. I think writing is a better fit than, than practicing law. So I kind of took a step back.
3: Yeah. I don't blame you, you know? <laughs> so, so, so what are you going to go on to next? Are you going to do this then more regular? Are you going to have more books?
2: I hope so. Um, I'm, I'm start, I started on my second book and, you know, funny enough, it's about that operation I described. Uh, it's based on that operation I described in Baghdad um, where we helped to apprehend perhaps the wrong guy and, and sort of the avalanche of consequences that follows. Um, but I just I I do feel like I would love to write a book about the experience of a of a female uh case officer, a counter-terrorist case officer in wartime Baghdad, because I feel like that's sort of a, an underrepresented um experience. You know, it's not there, there's not a lot out there about that. So but I welcome any suggestions if anyone has any. <laughs>
0: Write another great book. That's, absolutely only pressure. Right? Write another great book.
2: Oh, well, thanks. Well, <laughs> oh yeah. well that's, well,
0: that's my, que- well, that was actually my question is what impact, your book has had a lot of success, best, best book of the year lists and things. What impact has that or what do you think will have on, as you write your second book, do you feel the pressure of the readers over your shoulder thinking about, oh, they would, they, I gotta, I gotta satisfy them? Are they just not there at all?
2: Yeah, it's such a good question. a little bit I do and i didn't I didn't anticipate that because I've never been that kind of writer. I mean, I just write the best thing I can. but what's weird is that the number one question I get is why I wrote a male protagonist. I mean that really I think that really throws people and um, and the reason I did by the way is a I, I really needed kind of a typical case officer, someone who'd been in the business for. You know, twenty some years, and that's really just more typically male. That's the reality. And number two was that a female operating in the Middle East would face a whole host of constraints and limitations that a man wouldn't, and that would have been my story then. That would have, it would have been a totally different story, and not really the one I wanted to tell. So that's why I had a male protagonist. But a lot of people are thrown by the fact that um, that I wrote that I'm a female writing a male protagonist. It, and it has given me pause. I mean, I think my next book, I was going to have a female protagonist regardless, but it, it almost seems a necessity now because so many people have asked, you know, Oh, you really should write a, a female protagonist. And, and also I think, um, it, you know, it, when you read my book, you see that it, I, I'm a very, I'm kind of a descriptive writer. I mean, I write, um, I write a lot of details and, and for me that that's just my writing style. And also i I really wanted to make time and place a character in the book. Like I wanted Bahrain to be a character in the book because to me it was as interesting and evolving and changing as a human. And the best way for me to do that was to write really descriptively about Bahrain. And some people love it. Most people I would say love it, but then some people don't. Some people think, Oh, it's too many words or I just want, you know, like, he did this, he did that, you know, just kind of bare bones. And I do find myself kind of thinking more about my writing style. Like, Oh, maybe I should adjust it based on what people have said. So I I don't know. I haven't figured it all out. I mean, I, do do you all have thoughts on that? I mean, how has it been for you guys?
3: Well, if you ask me, I don't do your style, but I would say, I would say uh, keep going like you're going. I, I, you know, I, I think that the, uh, Location is very important, and so you write it as a character. So Bahrain has to be—you um, have to describe it. And if someone doesn't get that, I think it has too much effect on your story, right? Too much not to do it. Mm-hmm. That's my opinion. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I—who am I? I'm just a radio guy. So,
0: well, I, you know, I'll be writing male, female. I, you know, write the write the female character. You know, put yourself in your shoes. Because you're talking to you're, you're talking to a bunch of people who may want to be that, right? You're you may be influencing them, saying, "Ah, this is an interesting. I want, I want like you did. I want to be a case officer. I'm in the trenches. And mm-hmm. There's somebody like them who's there. You've been there, so that might be. Mm-hmm. If, if you want to talk about the grand scheme, that might be something. But I think you'll also enjoy that character because you'll just see yourself and your friends able, and the limitations and advantages. Because when I was there, the women were just like, forget it. There weren't that many. Yeah. And and I would say, you know, to write it. Because you said, you, know, you have the beginning of just sit down and, as, and write your, you know, first, best, worst sentence and, and, and let it rip, right?
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, for all my thoughts on, on oh, maybe I should, you know, change this or change that, at the end of the day, I think, you know, you are who you are as a writer, you know, and, and I think when it comes out, it's kind of like your personality. I mean, you can only change your personality so much. It's still who you are. So, um, you know, I think it's, it's taken me a lifetime to find my voice but here it is and and use that voice yeah, yeah i mean it. i think i think it's there for better or worse so yeah well, you tell
3: them shane used to be a woman
2: <laughs> <laughs> that's a very interesting idea
0: it was a good show yeah.
3: <laughs> <laughs> well but you know that, that solves that problem and say well shane is a female character what are you talking yeah, about that would be okay yeah and then they'll go oh okay and say yeah. well, you'll find out more about that in book two you see and then you'll be selling lots of book twos right, right. I think, I,
2: I Good you idea. you just need yeah. me
3: as your agent right yeah I'm, I, I'll work it out for you don't worry about it <laughs> great idea I'm groaning <laughs> how was it getting in the head of your main character Shane Collins then like how how, how did you uh, arrive at that place
2: yeah I get that a lot and you know I did it was not that hard to be honest I mean because I he's not a lot like me but um I don't know I just felt like I would sit down at at this local Starbucks every day and I would just think to myself okay I'm I am Shane Collins. Like, what am I going to say? Sometimes I'm a jerk. You know, sometimes I, I want to say something nasty to someone. And, um, and occasionally I would find my, <laughs> I mean, it's not, just you know, getting kicked
3: out of Starbucks. <laughs>
2: <laughs> and I mean, occasionally I'd find myself writing a sentence that I felt was too bland. Like it sounded like me or it sounded like a, like a neutral narrator. Right. And then I, you know, I would stop. I mean, I really went over every sentence in my book with sort of a, a fine tooth comb. And I was like, would Shane Collins say that, you know, or would he say something that like, or would he be more of a dick, you know, like, and, and usually the answer was the latter. So I would, you know, I would, I would really go through and think what, you know, I'm Shane Collins. What am I, what's coming out of my mouth? And I, and I also had the, the whole backstory in my mind. I mean, it, in, you know, you learn a little about his childhood. He was abused as a child and his parents were alcoholics and he is an alcoholic. And, um, and, and to me that made him more sympathetic. Um, and I, I kind of kept that in my mind too. Like this is a guy who's damaged, who carries a lot of baggage and that affects his decisions. And, um, you know, but, but there's good in him too.
1: Brilliant. So, with that in mind, what would you say to anybody who wants to come and look at a career in intelligence now, and uh, and, and what would your advice to those, advice to them be? Um, I
2: would I would say go for it. I mean i I think it's I think it's such a um, it's it's such a, a noble profession. I mean, I think you, you make a lot of sacrifices doing it, but I think it's it's certainly a a, a necessary service. Um, and i think the agency has really changed for the better over the years um, you know when i was there there this was before the me too movement and women weren't always treated well and i've seen almost like a sea change just from the outside at least i've seen a, a big change in the agency um, there's been there's been a lot of accountability the agency had its first female director. Um, they're having hearings now, I think, on on Capitol Hill about sexual harassment. So I think it's a it's a friendlier environment for women than now than it used to be, and I think it's it's just a more um, accountable uh, organization than it used to be. So um, I'm, you know, I. At the end of the day, it was, you know, it had its good and bad moments, but at the end of the day, it was really, it was a, it was a good experience for me and I would, I would recommend it.
0: And you sort of answered this question, but I think I'm asked a different way in in simple terms. Why write? Why does Alana write?
2: Oh, um, well, it's what I've always done. Um, I, you know, even when I was a kid, I think that was my way of dealing with anything. I, I would keep voluminous journals, um, I, and I remember my mom would sneak into my room and read them, and I was like, I was so angry because I kept my life in these journals. And um, and when I was in my, boo 20s,
0: mom, boo mom.
2: I know, right? I, I, I'll tell her not to not to listen to this. <laughs> but um, <laughs> <laughs> but um, when I was in my twenties, I, I backpacked around Europe, and I. Remember, I kept voluminous travel journals. I would um, I would record everything that that I saw. It was my way of understanding these countries and their culture and their history. Um, I still have all those travel journals. And every now and then, I mean, I I wrote so much. Every now and then, like a, I would find myself right when I wrote the peacock and the sparrow, I would find an old sentence I'd written for my travels or wherever, like creeping out into my into my manuscript that I'd written, you know, 20 years ago or something. And um, so I think it was just my, my way. I used to write like angst ridden poems when I was a teenager. (laughs) I mean, they're so bad, like just so bad. I can't even read them now, but, um, but it was always my kind of go-to mechanism for making sense of my experiences. I had a, I had a teacher in my seventh grade English teacher who was, who was wonderful and um, supportive. And she's actually in my acknowledgement. She always encouraged me to be a writer, but I would write such like dark and angst ridden poems that one time she, she asked me to stay after school and she was like, are you okay? Like, what's wrong with you? And it really, I, I was totally fine. I mean, I just, I was like a normal, you know, teenage girl just dealing with teenage things. Um, but yeah, it always came out in my writing.
3: And you don't like those poems, eh? So we've got some of them here. We're going to read them.
2: Oh, great. <laughs> Wonderful.
3: <laughs> no, just kidding. Well, now, are you, are you available on social media for people? Do you have a website? How do you like readers to find
2: you? Oh, yeah. Um, all of the above. I have a website, isberry.net, and I am I author on both Twitter and Instagram and threads, if anyone's on threads. Not many people are, but yeah.
3: No, not very many yet, but yeah, yeah.
2: they're there. They're there, so yeah.
3: Well, fantastic. Oh, okay, so we'll have all of that up on our website and uh, oh, great. along with your book. And the book is The Peacock and the, and the Sparrow. It's a novel. I.S. Barry is the uh, author and her guest, so thank you for being on the show.
2: Oh, thank you so much for having me. It, w- it was a pleasure. Thank you.